Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Hello, everyone. With me uh, today, we have a very uh, esteemed guest, a man I've been following, stalking on social media for, for a couple of years now. Bill, maybe for, for, for those who don't know you and haven't been following you on around social media for, for a couple of years, could you just kind of do the, the quick intro to yourself and what you do and have done in, uh, in the past? Sure. Yeah. So first off, uh, thanks for everybody for joining. I know this is very early or very late, depending on which part <laughs> of the globe you're in. So uh, either way, always appreciate people, you know, taking a little bit of their day out to uh, to listen. Uh, my background. So I did about 10 years in B2C, did my own startup right out of college. Uh, we exited that, did a, worked with a couple of very large media companies, had a couple exits there. And then went over to the B2B side. So came in with Salesforce, uh, was our SVP in marketing, went over to Zendesk as their CMO, took them through an IPO, and then also with Slack as their CMO slash CRO, and then an eventual IPO as well. Uh, and now I do advisory slash board work, and I'm really passionate about business. I've always been a business nerd. Sixth grade, I was reading Wall Street Journal and you know uh, Fortune and Forbes and Business Week, and I just love this stuff. So I uh, was yeah. excited to chat today. That's super, yeah. And I think like the, when you hear those names, Bill, it's it's like, how did he manage to get into these? You seemed also to get into those companies just at the right time uh, as well, while they were like still growing extremely fast. And and what 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 do you think that you've maybe that's a different direction? But how did you decide employers while like going through your career? So a couple things, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, you know, don't worry if you're employed or not, or if you're employable. So yeah. always be building up your skills. I think especially within marketing, especially online marketing, there's always new techniques and skill sets, uh, technology that you can leverage, and you really need to invest in that, stay on top of that. And then for myself, I have a really simple thesis. I look for pain. Where there's more pain, there's more opportunity. You know, for Slack, I just thought, I've never met a single person that loved email and was like, oh my God, email yeah. works amazing. And it's so good for group collaboration. <laughs> Lots of pain there. Zendas, you know, customer service, tons of pain. So I think there's always like, if you look for where there's basic pain, whether you're starting something up yourself or whether you're looking to join a company, I think that's super helpful. And then, you know, I always tried to apply a little bit more of a modern go to market. You know, I think a lot of companies, especially in the B2B space, I don't know what it is. It's very conservative, very like, let's just use the playbook we've been using for the last 30 years. Let's send on a press release. Let's do events. Let's do top-down selling. And again, nothing wrong with any of those in a channel, but there are just more modern ways to go to market now. And so I think, you know, you kind of have to think about those because no matter what space we're in, even Slack, like there's, you know, there's five or 10 other companies that are doing it. These are always very crowded spaces. By definition, if you have success, a VC is going to see that and fund four other companies. So you have to really think about not only just, you know, obsess on the product side, but obsess on the go-to-market side. Just think it's a really important point for, for those marketers out there. Like whenever you shift job, you, you make a quite a big investment because it's, it's your life and the time you have available. And if you pick a bad horse, <laughs> you can be the best of marketer. But if the product is not really good and not really solving any real pain, as you're saying, then it's really hard to, to become super successful because that, the, the macro of of the product not really solving a pain is going to be against you all the way through. 
Yeah, I, I think it's important too to really think about like what is your personal philosophy with marketing or go to market, right? There's a lot of different tactics you can use, you know, from like high velocity PLG to top down ABM to very customer centric to very sales centric to very present. Like just make sure that you align with the company that you're going into, right? You know, I had a lot of conversations with Slack, the board members, you know, Stuart, just to make sure that, hey, we had a like they were open minded as to building a more modern go to market engine and yeah. what that looked like from a customer centric standpoint. So, you know, I, I think all those things matter. Right. And and the metrics matter. I know we're going to be talking about that, but <laughs> yeah. hey, like, does the board believe in the same metrics you do? Right. Like yeah. that's that's important. Right. These mm -hmm. things are all really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I before uh, before today, I, I wrote uh, a small request for you to kind of think about a marketing anecdote from each of those like three very well-known companies that kind of maybe was was a tactic, something very tangible that kind of represented an, an inflection point at each of these companies. I don't know. Did you give some thoughts to that, Bill? I, I love a good tactic myself. So I would love to hear like, what was it that Slack that really worked or one, yeah. thing, that, one thing that really worked? Sure, you know, ha happy to go through that. So I'd say uh, maybe start with Salesforce and Slack. So Salesforce was one of the first companies I'd been part of where Mark, we had a V2 mom, and that was basically just like, hey, what's our top priorities that we're going to focus on this year? And you would always have a couple of values, like, hey, how are we going to, you know, live this, you know, this this prioritization? And one of them was always like, hey, customers, um, customer success, like we have to make sure our customers are successful. And mm -hmm. I thought. That was a different orientation than a lot of companies I had been around where Mark was always harping on, you know, customer centricity, customers first. And I thought like that really rallied it, right? Like I started thinking about the brand, not as your visual identity or logo or slogan, but the brand was the sum of all these little touch points that a customer interacted with you. And that those are interactions on the sales team, the marketing team, the website, the support team, all these different interactions, right? But that definitely was a big ethos for me. I think when yeah. we went to Zendesk, oh yeah, go ahead there. Oh, yeah, I was just, uh, I was I was nodding and um, yeah, I feel definitely when, when you're dealing with these more complex software suites, it's like the customer success team really doing everything they can to like treat customers well and onboard them and, you know, roll out the activation of the product is just absolutely crucial. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I would even argue, I think, and that's interesting because when I say customer success, I really meant like, you know, individual customer having success with your company, right? And I do think the customer success team is a big part of that, but I would argue like, hey, that's that's everyone's responsibility yeah. and everybody has that. Yeah. I think at Zendesk, one of the, you know, ethos we had there was um, beautifully simple. And that was something, you know, Mikkel had come from, you know, he, I think he actually did like implementations for large support teams at these big companies before Zendesk. And he would go in and they literally would have like, a 900 page manual on how to use this like old software and have to train these teams. And he was kind of like, you know, it doesn't need to be like that. Couldn't we just make something beautifully simple? Right. And that was a beautiful little ethos. And I think today in enterprise software, you know, it's still the, the software is too complex. The average net promoter score for B2B software companies is something like a minus 19. Like that's bad. It's like a oh. minus 100 to 100 oh. scale. So it just shows you like even today, a lot of companies they don't build beautifully simple software, right? And I, I think Slack, we we really leaned in even more on this idea of, you know, we want to make a pleasant, simple, you know, working experience, right? And and I think the pleasant is important too, right? Not just does, does your software have the functions, but are you actually like smiling when you use it? Are you laughing? Are you having fun? I remember we would spend time 
crafting kind of unique, funny notes and in, in, in the release notes. So if you ever read the Slack release notes, like in I the did. mobile, I did. They're, I did. Yeah, they're 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 a little fun. There's some Easter eggs in there, right? You know, you know when you log in, you know what is that the message of the day? That was just originally like Slack just took too long to load, right? And we didn't want to yeah. have a giant hourglass spinning, and we're like, well, let's make a message of the day. I think you have lots of opportunities to delight people when they're using the product, and I think marketing is a big part of that, right? Historically, these teams get very siloed. Product is on one side, and marketing is yeah. on another, and marketing only focuses on leads, metrics, right? A little tie yeah. in there. Yeah. But to the point that you can pull in marketing and go, hey, marketers, like you're really good at like, you know, visuals and, and making fun and, and simplifying things. Can you focus on those things too? Then all of a sudden your product is very different and unique. And people are having this great experience now. And what I've noticed as a marketer is even if your metric is leads, if people have like a great experience with your product, they tend to talk about it. And they tend to recommend it. And all of a sudden you have this organic word of mouth leads coming in, which any good B2B marketer knows that is your best converting source (laughs) of leads, right? They always convert the best, a good word of mouth lead coming in. So anyway, those are little tidbits from those three companies and how I tended to think about them. It's super interesting, Bill. And it's funny, like it's these small, you can take moments with products or companies that you remember. I remember Slack also, I think they refunded money when you had users that were not using the product and it's that feeling it gave about Slack is that it was like super transparent, super honest. They will give you money back if you're not using the product. Like you can really trust that, that company. And I did read those re- release notes. If you like, when you see an app is released, it's always super boring or just like we fix some mistakes. And the Slack was always super elaborate with small, yeah, good stories in there for the for the user. Yeah. The, the pricing and packaging was a really interesting one because we definitely spent a lot of time thinking about that on... You know, we did have a freemium plan, which I'm a big, big fan of, but on our paid plan, we didn't tie the metric to, you know, you paid and you just were stuck with it. You know, it was, hey, if you were starting to use Slack and, you know, you had 10 people on your team using it and three people stopped using it, or maybe one person just went on vacation. That was actually like the most common. I think at the time we had like a 10 day window. And so a lot of times people, especially in Europe, go Europe. I love that yeah, you can yeah, take yeah. multi-week vacations. You know, yeah. they would get notes. We'd send notes to the admin going, oh, you know, Sherry is no longer using Slack. Here's a refund or credit back. And, but anyway, the, the, the idea there was the success metric though, was if they were logging into the platform every day and if yeah. they didn't, we didn't get paid. Right. So that's mm-hmm. a very different dynamic. Like now everyone at Slack, all the employees are like, we got to make sure people get value. We got to make sure they're yeah. going back and using the platform. Otherwise we don't get paid. And I think that's a really good example of aligning a business metric within your company to the customer success metric. Right. And when both align, you're both incentivized to create great outcomes. Yeah, that's super interesting. And just one more Easter egg before we, we head into the metrics, which actually you yeah. want to talk about. There's If you search for a Zendesk alternative, I don't know if you were around when they created <laughs> that fake rock band bill. For, I for was, people yes. Are, <laughs> people are, who are in a competitive industry where competitors are biting your ankles, then go search for a Zendesk alternatives. And you'd actually find a rock band that has recorded a video and all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> It must have been quite fun to to pull off. Yeah, that was, you know, we had an amazing video team at Zendesk and it allowed us to do a lot of fun things. And one of the ideas is I, like my history, I was talking about when I'm in the B2C side, I spent a lot of time in SEO. So I knew that really well. And, you know, a very common search is your name plus alternative because people are just kind of like, oh, what other companies are in the space? And, you know, in my research stage. So 
we were like, you know, what if we made this fictitious band, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was part of, uh, you know, also named Zendesk. And, you know, they talked about how Zendesk stole their name. And it's just like five minutes. And it's just funny, right? Yeah. You know, it's a fun way for people to get introduced to the band. And it's still kind of ranks, like, which is crazy. It was like 10 yeah. years later or something like that. I, so I still anecdoted, like, maybe told it to 40, 50 people. And, and <laughs> it's funny how these like small brand moments really can can stick with you. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, if we then switch over to the the hardcore core stuff. So Bill, you've you've been running marketing teams at some of the most successful company or software companies at least. I guess metrics is a natural big big part of that. How do you think about metrics in general for for marketers, marketing leaders? What is kind of your like the overarching point of view uh, of metrics before we start heading into the more yep. uh, specific Great stuff? question. Yeah, great question. So I'm an optimist. You know, my, my dad once told me the story where he's like, hey, if if you have your wallet and you drop it on the sidewalk, you know, 90% of the people will give it back with the money. You know, 7% of the people will give it back, but maybe, you know, take the money out and <laughs> 3% of people will just take it. Yeah. But the basic point is like 90% of the people, like the vast, vast, vast majority of people are good and want to do the, the right thing. And I always kind of thought like it's the same in our work and our careers like hey most people are just good they they want to they want to do their job well you know they want to feed their families they want to you know make money so they can get a house or whatever it is right and the metrics we choose as a company both at a company level at a team level at an individual level are huge incentivizers for those people and will really dramatically alter what they focus on on a day-to-day -day level Right. And, and it's not that, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, like maybe you had a bad experience with a salesperson. Right. At one point, I think we all have. We all have a good experience. Though. People have all had a bad experience. Well, a lot of times. Well, what was their metric that they literally got their paycheck from? Right. Did they yeah. just choose something like maybe it was that first sale and that was it. They get 100 percent credit if they got the sale. They have no other metrics at all. Well, of course, like you're kind of incentivizing a behavior. You know, think traditional car salesmen. They don't care if you come back. They know that you wouldn't be back for another five or 10 years. So they just would do anything they can to get that one sale there that one time. But that was the metric that drove that a lot of that behavior. So yeah. I think my overarching philosophy is just, A, you have to be really, really careful about thinking about the metrics you use. You know, what, what behavior is that incentivizing? And then maybe B, you even have to think about like, hey, is this a team-based metric? Is this a individual metric? What are you incentivizing there? Are you incentivizing silos or are you incentivizing collaboration across different teams that might normally work together? So th that's how I try to frame it in my head. And kind of have you had like one metric for the marketing team where everybody had to support that metric or, or have you been going out handing out different metrics to, to different people or how have you typically orchestrated that part? So I think... Um, I think you have to look at it, right? Like in an individual level, at a marketing team level, and then even at a company level, right? And mm -hmm. so for marketing, if you want to get into it, like there are kind of a, a couple different broad categories that I look into. And even before I go there, let me take a step back. Like I get that for those listening, watching yeah. LinkedIn Live, 95% of B2B companies, like marketing's metric is leads. And I actually think that's kind of sad in a way, like, I say sad because I think marketing is much more than that. Mm. Marketing can have a really impactful 
cause and effect on just your overall company's growth, your revenue. And when you just take it down to leads, it's a very short area. It's a very narrow area, right? So uh, really the four or five categories I like to think about are, you know, first starting off with, um, I call them funnel metrics. One more time. Funnel metrics. Funnel, funnel, uh, funnel metrics, right? Funnel metrics is this broad set, which is everything that includes like top of funnel. Hey, how many visitors are we getting, you know, uh, every day, every month to the website? How many leads? How many MQLs? How many, you know, SQLs, SALs, pipeline, you know, ARR, for instance? It's just all these kind of financial metrics, right? And you have to think really strategically, like, you know, where do you put that, right? Is that at the beginning of the funnel? Is it at the end of the funnel? A lot of times marketers will go for leads. I would argue, even if you're going to go leads, you know, you should have a marketing qualified lead. There's a lot of weird things marketers do when they just have to get someone to fill out a form and they get their bonus, right? <laughs> you think when you go to a site that where everything is gated, you can almost guarantee like that site like had leads yeah. as a metric and that was it. But, you know, the funnel metrics, I would argue when you go further down the funnel, you become more of a partner with sales versus more of an adversary with sales, right? Mm. You know, because you're both only getting paid or, you know, metric if, you know, someone actually comes a true opportunity or someone actually did become pipeline or they yeah. actually did sell it there, right? But I do think the funnel metrics are important. And not only within funnel metrics, classifying out, is this, are these new revenue or is this, you know, add-on upgrade expansion revenue, right? Yeah. Like a lot of marketers will only do leads, but they'll only do leads for net new people coming in. And yeah. I would argue, especially in like software SaaS, the field we're both in, historically half your revenue will come from add-on upgrade expansion, different plans, mm. new products. Yeah. Like marketers can do a huge job there. And when they don't, what ends up happening is sales ends up having to do all that, they, all through one-on-one -on -one knife fights. Marketing <laughs> is really good at doing you know, programs at scale, right? So you, we can really help improve with that capital efficiency, which is really important if you're yeah. thinking about it. But those are the funnel metrics. That, that's the first category that I tend to think about. Yeah, I think this is kind of what you need kind of when uh, you know, rougher time comes, you need to be able to show, look, this is the input we're giving to the overall revenue of the car, like the new business sales. We touch X amount of leads and like, hence, if you fire us or cut our budget with 50%, we will... Yeah. <laughs> people will be, be in trouble. I can imagine like the challenges of coming. So now we're moving over to three other buckets uh, of metrics. And how do you, like, you've probably been in this situation before where you need to steer the board, you need to steer the CEO, the CFO to respect that there's actually other metrics that we can measure than leads <laughs> here. How have you typically approached that conversation that there's more to, to life than just the amount of leads that we get through? Yeah, I, you know, I found personally for, you know, the marketing folks listening or marketing leaders is that a huge part of your job, I would argue 25, 30, 35% needs to be spent on communication and education of the company on what the heck marketing does, what the heck mm -hmm. marketing is, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You know, what's your role? What's your impact? Like even that example of, hey, I think marketing can make an impact on creating more revenue from our existing customers. A lot of people just don't know, oh, wow, you could do that. Like I've never been a part of a company where marketing helps with that, right? Yeah. Or we'll talk about this later with experience metrics, but hey, well, marketing can help improve our net promoter score. Oh, that's interesting, right? Like I, I always thought that was just customer success or the support team that did that. You know, and even probably my next category brand, which I'll talk about is, hey, what is brand? You know, a lot of people think like, oh, brand, like it's just this amorphous, Marketing, you're just going to go waste money. You're going to waste like, you want $5 million to just, you know, flush it down the toilet. 
Well, here's the thing, brand, you can measure brand. There's tons of good metrics on brand. There's, you know, aided recall, unaided recall, sentiment, sure voice, sure conversation, you know, especially I think, you know, brand isn't as muchly paid attention to in the B2B side. I would argue that's a big miss. But for those of you that have worked on the B2C side, it's absolutely tracked from, you know, religiously looked at, right? I do think you need to have these conversations with your stakeholders. That's a big thing, like marketing, like CFO, CEO, head of sales, you know, head of success, head of support, and then all of your board members, maybe there's four or five mm. board members, you need to have relationships with them, talk with yeah. them yeah. and explain to them, hey, you know, this is why I think marketing, this is what we should be looked at. This is the areas I think we can positively impact. And brand, I always said, well, like, look guys, like demand gen is short-term leads, brand is long-term leads, yeah. right? Like <laughs> it's still the same goal. Like, hey, we're, we're, we want to improve the business, but yeah. You know, brand is something that is going to allow us to um, differentiate. It's going to allow us to, you know, uh, make people smile. They're going to buy more. They're going to recommend more. But, you know, hey, we're going to track it. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to track it through one of those, you know, five metrics I mentioned. And there's different ways you can track it. Like at, yeah. at Slack, we did a really simple email survey that just asked people, hey, when you think of team communication software, which companies come to your head that's unaided, yeah. you know, or you can give them the answers, you know, Slack, HipChat, blah, blah, blah. That's aided, right? And then yeah. you just track it. You run it every month, yeah. every quarter, and you have a metric behind it. But it's interesting. You say like up to like 20% of how much did you say you should spend on just coordinating with the rest Absolutely. of the Now, why you're... 20, 30%. The biggest mistake, because uh, I, I do a lot of advisory roles now where I work yeah. with companies and a lot of times with the, you know, the CMO or the VP of marketing. And the biggest mistake I'll see is a lot of people come from an IC path. They get promoted up. And when they're in that role, all they do is heads down 100%. Yeah, they do tactics. There's so much to do in marketing, right? There's just always things are on fire and we're trying to do this and this and this. (laughs) And they never ever talk to all these other stakeholders and kind of inform them, hey, here's what we're putting our cycles on. Here's what marketing is. Here's how long things take, right? Like, you know, a lot of people are guilty on the other side of going, oh, marketing, just change the website, you know, with the new messaging, that should take a day. And they're like, no, that's not how it works, right? You have to, you have to educate people. Here's the timeline, right? And you got to understand too, a lot of people in SaaS or software, a lot of those founders are are, are product founders, right? Or they have a, you know, a development background an engineering background. Like marketing is kind of new to them, right? It'd be the same, right? Like if, you know, as a marketer, you're CEO tomorrow and all of a sudden you're managing you know, the dev team and the infrastructure team. And you're like, I have no idea kind of what your metrics are or what you yeah. do or your purpose. Like, you know, you, you kind of rely on them to educate you. So I do think you need to spend those cycles on, on educating people about the metrics, about what you're doing to be more yeah. successful and get that buy-in. Super good. So the first bucket, that's the funnel metrics. That's the card called kind of revenue related metrics. The next one you said is experience metrics. Uh, actually, I was going to go with, um, I'm going to go in order. I'll, I'll do brand metrics. This is the second one. Let's so <laughs> we, we talked about, you know, A to recall, on A to recall sentiment. But the important thing is just, just start tracking it, right? So the cool thing when you start tracking brand metrics is depending on your methodology, you will get not only your metric, but you'll get all your competitors' metrics. And I found, especially if you're trying to like, oh, nobody believes in brand, nobody will invest in brand. A great way to get more investment in brand is to show a chart, your next board meeting or your next, you know, exec meeting or whatever meeting it is. And show yourself, you know, your, your company plotted out with five data points on your awareness and then show your competitors, right? Yeah. And maybe those competitors are growing higher, right? And be like, hey guys, we need to think about this, right? Or sentiment. Sentiment is just like how favorable do you perceive this company, right? Yeah. Maybe not everybody knows you yet and that's okay. You're getting there, but 
like everybody knew Outlook was their the most favorable perception towards Outlook. I'd argue maybe not, right? So you do have to think about these things. And yeah. you know, the more you start tracking brand metrics, then then you can show the impact. Now, tracking them is important. Another thing that I found. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we, so, so brand metrics. So I've personally not worked in a role where we you could afford these like big brand surveys and like call people and ask and stuff like that. So for for a bit smaller companies, do you know do you, any methods that you can recommend to kind of measure brand in that sense? Yeah. So some people will literally do uh, direct searches. That's probably the easiest one. Direct searches of your brand from the web, right? So yeah, how people are literally typing your company's name in Google. That's an easy one. Um, you're right. Historically, brand and brand metrics were very expensive and hard to get. I would argue just like anything, that's improved tremendously. So when I was at Slack, what we did is we use SurveyMonkey and it cost us maybe a couple thousand per survey. I think maybe 3,000 and we would just send it out, you know, 500 people, you know, that were kind of in our demographic, firmographic range and they would get yeah. a survey and we get to statistical confidence and um, 500 completed surveys. And then we had those data points, right? And then we ran that every, I think we ran it every month, right? So you're talking what, three times and uh, 36,000 for the year. Yeah. Okay. It's expensive. Is it like, to kill you i don't i wouldn't argue like in a larger you know b2b even a medium-sized b2b company yeah, yeah, the yeah. point is like you can get these things they're not like that hard and look one of the reasons i, I love dream data and just in, in general attribution is attribution just kind of tells you like hey is this stuff working or is it not right yeah. and tr starting to track these metrics allows you to go into all these meetings and not get into this brand works brand doesn't work right this philosophical just hey here's just data let's let's mm. take the politics out of this let's just look at the actual data itself. So I do think like oh. tracking the those brand metrics and then thinking about like how they, you know, get assigned to the team. I think that's another layer, an important layer is not just, I don't like the idea of, okay, my marketing team, I just have like the brand team and that's all they do and that's all they get metric done. Then there's like a demand gen team and they have their own funnel metric. I personally, I, I found what works better is you have all these different teams by functional area and then you choose at the beginning of the year, like, hey, what are the most important things we're going to focus on, right? Because you could argue like a social team. Is that brand? Well, I don't know. Social, you can do a lot of things to, to yeah. generate leads and funnel, right? But you can yeah. also generate brand. Like, is the designer, are they brand or are they, you know, demand gen? Because they could work on a lot of these demand gen campaigns, right? So I don't like giving team names a metric, right? Like, I don't like having a demand gen team because that's all they do is demand gen, right? They should be, yeah. it was the paid advertising team and we can leverage paid advertising for brand campaigns. We can leverage them for demand gen campaigns. But that's another important nuance too, is once you have these metrics, thinking about how they get assigned to the individual teams. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So funnel metrics, brand metrics, experience metrics, uh, stakeholder surveys, and data-driven milestones. Yeah. Do you want to pour through those real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Let's go to experience metrics next. Experience metrics for me is this idea of kind of going back to the Salesforce, right? Like we want to make sure our customers are successful. How do you do that, right? And what I've found is in a lot of companies, there are no experience metrics. Hey, was the customer successful or not? There's just none, right? And maybe there's one, maybe the support team gets it. Maybe the customer success team gets it. Experience metrics for me are things like net promoter score, CSAT, these are things that are uh, net promoter scores simply says like, hey, how likely do you recommend Slack to a friend or colleague? Mm -hmm. And what you notice is if you're, if you're marketing and if you care about how many leads you get, well, again, you want to make sure a lot of people are recommending you. 
right? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you're like, that's how it really came for me. I'm like, well, I, I want to drive my funnel metrics, but whoa, like the experience is having a big influence here because if no one's having a good experience with our company, no one's recommending it. I have to buy all the leads. Like that's a really expensive way to grow. Mm-hmm. I want to like think about, hey, can we get more people just having a great experience with us? And so I think just tracking experience metrics, like a net promoter score, maybe at a company level, you know, for marketers, we did a lot of stuff of like, hey, if someone self-identified as a nine or 10, as an advocate at Zendesk or Slack, we would have automatic <laughs> rules, right? Like, hey, will you write a review for us on G2 Crowd? Will you yes, speak at our next conference? Yeah. Will you, you know, introduce us to your procurement person? Yeah. Whatever it is, right? There's a whole playbook I, I around tried that. that like firsthand myself and it works incredibly well. And I think it is an expression that, Look, I paid you money, but I'm actually so happy with the money I paid you that I feel like I get more out of the money that I'm giving you. So there's some sort of goodwill saved up within me. And if you come and ask nicely, you can actually direct that goodwill to like a tangible outcome. Totally. Right. So you have a, you have those experience metrics, like things we did at Slack, for instance, like when I was there, I was managing the sales team too. And uh, we put in a CSAT survey. So we said, yeah. hey, after someone finished interacting, you know, buying from a salesperson, we would send a survey and we go like, Hey, Sally was your account executive. You know, how helpful was she, you know, Mm -hmm. one to five, how responsive was she, you know, how knowledgeable was she, you know, how courteous was she, whatever lenses you want to think about, like, how do we make sure we're incentivizing a good experience, not just a used car sales person. Did I get the sale type experience? Right. And then, you know, you can even go like with the, again, metrics drive behavior. Okay. Well, maybe this, maybe these set of experience metrics are also, you know, a part of if this person gets promoted, if they get their bonus, how big their bonus is, right? We measured Seaside extensively on the support side too, not just, hey, did you answer the ticket or how many tickets did you close in an hour, yeah. right? Which is usually like the churn and burn, which we get copy paste macros for everything. But hey, did someone actually rate you really high on like helping them solve it? And they, they solved it with, you know, courtesy and empathy. Again, like these metrics drive the behavior everywhere within the organization. You know, even marketing, again, like if you're getting measured a little bit on maybe the website, like how fast it loads, right? I would argue that's a good experience metric, right? Or did they find what they're looking for on the website? Or did you just put everything behind the gates? Because again, Mm. your only metric was a funnel metric. (laughs) You know, those experience metrics matter. And I do think, you know, finding even to the very first point, if you believe in that stuff, go to a company that believes in that, that Mm. ask the CEO, what's your net promoter score? If they don't even know what that is, like that's a bad sign, right? Like, thank you very much. I'm going to go on to the next one. It's very interesting to hear how you kind of think more holistic about marketing and not just kind of that spend money, generate leads thought, but it is what you think, but it's much more effective if it's the customers that are doing your marketing for you. Like this holistic approach of happy customers talk to other people and then we get more customers, we get more leads and and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's a great flywheel. So anyway, so that was the experience metrics, um, yeah. kind of going to four and the last two here, stakeholder surveys. So I was really shaped. I remember there was a point where I was working for one of my consumer companies and I remember my laptop wasn't working and I went to the IT person and the IT person was just eating a donut doing like nothing. Sorry. <laughs> I love IT people, but sorry, you know, and you're just like looking at me like, oh, what's the matter? I'll get to that <laughs> next week. And I'm like, no, like I need to use this, right? Like this is yeah. my daily thing. And I'm just like begging and pleading with them. Like, please help me. Right. Yeah. Like, oh. And I was always like, I never wanted that. Like when I was running a team, I never wanted our team to be like that to our other 
internal stakeholders, right? In marketing, you have a lot of stakeholders you're working with, you know, you're working with sales very closely, you're working with product very closely, you're working with finance on projecting, you know, your revenue and how many leads and funnel stuff you're going to be getting here. You have all these different, you know, stakeholders. And so what, one of the things that we would do too, is we would run a survey. So we would run a survey to all these stakeholders <laughs> and we would ask them, Hey, how much value did marketing create for you? Yeah. You know, how responsive was marketing? You know, all these different lenses. Like, so product marketing is a really good example of a sub team that works with a lot of these different teams. We would ask them like, Hey, maybe the marketing ops person. Well, maybe you have internal marketing team members that are relying on you as an ops person, right? So again, run that survey, you know, create more of a, <laughs> an internal customer centricity, because then these folks, again, you're not just eating a donut. I'll do whenever it's the yeah. DMV for those that live in the U S you know, it, it's something where they're, you know, incentivized to your, do a good job. Cause again, most people want to do a good job. I think it's super interesting that you do this, but, and that kind of as a marketer, so sometimes you can feel like the king of the world. If you, something you did was super successful, like now we're ranking number one on this big term, or we did this conference and we got this many leads. But what if the rest of the organization actually feels you're doing a bad job? Are you just running your own silo projects where like the rest of the organization is not impressed with your work? Well, you need to know so you can have the conversation and try to to improve the collaboration. So that's uh, super interesting, Bill. I've never heard anybody uh, talk about that before. Yeah. And I would say too, you know, again, advising a lot of marketing teams and seeing marketing teams and seeing people and marketing teams get laid off. Like it's a really dangerous situation when yeah. you're in marketing and you're just like, oh, we created this latest bell and whistle and shiny object. We're great. great. You know, yeah. pat ourselves on the back. You want to make sure everyone else also believes what you're doing yeah. and that you're adding value. And those, those stakeholder surveys are a really good way. Now, does it have to be everything? No, you can weight all these metrics, right? But I think having something there is really important, right? Like if you're in product marketing and you're the person that does sales enablement for the sales team, you know, you're working on customer stories, working whatever. Well, they're the ones that they are the receiver of your product, right? You got to make sure that they think, you know, that they, they think you're adding value and that you have a really good relationship there. And that's going to yeah. help you out. So you don't run into a situation where it's all of a sudden like, whoa, nobody thinks marketing is doing a good job. And you know, and then that's hard, right? Because, you know, budgets are tight. Well, who gets cut first? Maybe marketing, you know, or maybe their budget gets cut, right? Whereas I think if you have stakeholder surveys and all these teams are like, oh, wow, they're, they're crushing it. They're doing so good. Yeah, give them more. I'll give them my headcount, right? Yeah. Because I think they're, they're doing so good there. So it's a powerful metric to incentivize good behavior there. Yeah, super interesting. And I think it's also you shouldn't shy away from the bad news. If there's actually somebody who, who feel you're doing a bad job, then... Like you need to like understand why they feel like you've been doing a bad job or can you adjust the course and then make them happy again? <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. You're probably putting your company in a better position. So the last two or one, um, the data-driven milestones is a big one. I think just, and that's just the reality is a lot of times in marketing, you're working on a big launch, a big release. You're working on a dream force that's coming up. Right. Yeah. And it's just a date driven. And I remember Mark, you know, Mark Benioff, I remember he used to say like, he liked date driven stuff because you put a flag in the ground and you couldn't really make excuses. It's like, Hey, yeah. we've booked Moscone on these dates. You know, we have to have everything ready for it versus, you know, agile sprints and, Oh, we can always do it on our next sprints and whatever it is. So I think sometimes those are, are helpful, right. In it, those date driven milestones. And then the last one, which I can't remember if I talked about, uh, uh, POG metrics, just real quick. I do, again, think in, in the mandate of where marketing can do product-like growth, there are things like daily active users, 
things like uh, product qualified leads, right? Yeah. This idea of like not just going through a traditional funnel, but going into the product and then becoming a lead that way. That marketing can influence and can improve. Now, is that a, is that a, only marketing owns that? No. I, again, I like a lot of these metrics should be shared across multiple teams so you don't get these silos, right? Yeah, PQLs, right? Like it's a great one that marketing and product should probably joint own. Because marketing owns a lot of the funnel, getting them into the product, a frictionless experience. Even when they're in the product, I would argue marketing can focus on the visual identity in the product, maybe the color scheme, delightful moments, you know, reducing friction, going from 11 steps to get, you know, time to value to three steps. There's a lot of things marketing can do there. So those are, you know, at a high level, those are my five, you know, funnel metrics, experience metrics, uh, stakeholder surveys, date-driven PLG metrics. Are these the only ones? No. I mean, there's tons of smart people. There's great other metrics out there, but I would just, you know, it's, it's a way to just kind of have you think like, Hey, maybe it's not just leads, right? Maybe there are some other things we can do as a marketing team to show our broader impact on the company. Yeah. And it's, it was interesting to hear that latter part about the, the product things as well. I think it's, it's easy sometimes to just think about your own little world. Like I'll, I'll yep. just do the projects that I've set off to, to do, but Again, you, you think very holistic about the experience that like if something's in the product and, and you know, a customer can look at it, it's actually something that marketing should care about as well if it's, you know, it's the wrong color or. Yeah, well, think about how many times we've all gone to a website, right? Yeah. And you're like, whoa, this looks amazing. I see all these people, smiling faces. I see emotion. I understand it's written really well. This is a good website. And, and then you go in like, okay, free trial, I'm going in the product. And all of a sudden it's totally different. It's this bland, sterile, confusing piece of software that's hard to use. And you're like, what just happened? Right? Like all the prompts were written by engineers. Everything is like next cancel request denied. You know, there's nothing fun in here. I remember I was, that's so funny, sorry. I was advising a very, very large company and I was sending in my invoice and you would think sending an invoice should take like two minutes of your time. This is not a hard thing, but I had to log into their procurement software. It took me like two hours, Stefan. I kid you not. It, it was the, it was like everything was an eight point font. It was completely not written for the user or certainly a person submitting an invoice. Yeah. Maybe they were making that intentionally hard. And I was like pulling my hair out. I would never, ever, ever, ever use that software again. If I was buying the software, I would stay away from it. If people asked me about it, I would say, my God, stay away from that. It's yeah. horrible, right? But marketing could have, like if they were included in those cycles, like, hey, because marketing tends to be good at like conversion rate optimization, right? Like how do we make things simpler? How do we reduce steps? Yeah. They tend to be good at like brand stuff. So how do we make this more fun? How yeah. do we you know, include our color palettes? How do we include more Easter eggs? Maybe our mascots in the software. Maybe you get yeah. like a high five when you finish your first key task or some fireworks go off. There's just lots of opportunities there. And historically marketing doesn't do it because those teams are very siloed and they use most importantly, very different metrics. I feel uh, like I'm thinking about our own product, how we could do that. I think it's interesting to say things needs to be a little bit more funny, like 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 brighten up the day a little bit rather than just like being very concise. But Bill, uh, so so now we've like you've painted this picture that all these metrics that you can kind of that you can care about, and I almost get a little bit stressed that I actually need to care about all these things. So so, what's your advice for for marketers to kind of stay grounded or like? don't get too stressed about all these moving parts that they could care about? Yeah, so I think a lot of that comes down to the leader too, you know, um, especially if you're a leader or a team, 
I would say, you know, talk about comms. I'd say one of your next most important things is prioritization, right? Yeah. Like get the team focused. Like, I think a lot of people just kind of say, okay, all these different marketing teams, what are you going to do this year? Right. And I, I'm more of a believer of you go, Hey, here are the three most important things we're going to do this year or the five most important, whatever it is. They're yeah. literally in stack ranked order. And how do all of our marketing teams and even other teams outside marketing, how are we going to contribute to hit those? Yeah. And here's the metrics they're going to use, right? So we're using OKRs, uh, Salesforce, we use V2Mom, which I think is a little bit better. What's it um, called? But uh, V2Mom. So the, literally the, the word V, uh, the number two, and then M-O-M. You can look it up. It's a really okay, cool yeah. framework. It includes you know values, your mission. It includes the concept of stack ranking, which I think is really important. But yeah, I, I think you know the, the worst bosses I've worked at is where they give you, you know, 10 unstructured items that are all equally important, right? Like that's, and you get stressed, right? And even those metrics, you don't have to use all five of those. Maybe you just choose like two this year or three this year, or maybe, maybe for this quarter brand is the most important. We're going to focus on it, yeah. but we're going to measure it. Right. So I, I do think like, that's the job of the leader, the, the company leader, the marketing leader, even if you're the team leader, maybe you're the marketing ops team leader, yeah. right? Be really crucial with those cycles because you can always do a million things, but what are the three that are really going to move the needle and have your team laser focused on those to, to not get stressed out? I think that's really good. Like moments where I get stressed is when I have too many priorities that all seem important and they're not stacked according to their importance. <laughs> then like, then it distresses you out because like what it should does. Be and you can't finish all of them at the, at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll do one last question, Bill, and then we'll round off. But so you probably have had this question before, but what's your advice to kind of have a successful career in marketing? Just like broadly speaking, what comes to your mind there? Yeah, uh, it's a fun question. So one, I mentioned it earlier, like, hey, focus on if you're employable, not employed. I remember when SEO came out, I'm a little older, but there weren't any like, there were no classes at school I could take on this. It yeah. was just like SEO. And I remember just going, hey, every night after work, I'm just going to spend like two or three hours reading forms, reading every single thing I can about SEO until yeah. like I'm an expert, right? Yeah. I know about you know, backlinks, domain authority. I know about content creation, on-page optimization, video optimization, just and the knowledge was out there. It's not like it's hidden. You guys do something I love, which is, you know, multi-touch attribution modeling. I think that's so important. It is absolutely important. And it is a little bit harder when you first get into it. But if you read and you listen and, and, and everybody even listening to this, I think is showing that, that, hey, they want to learn. They want to keep finding new ideas and there's different ones out there. So I think just having that, constant source of learning is incredible and then you know show that impact right like you know if you don't show the impact via metrics you kind of devolve into having to show the impact via politics which i don't know to me like i love being political it's not fun right but <laughs> if you have strong data that's like hey we are moving the needle here right yeah. and you're showing these teams the value like that's going to help with your career right you're going to go further because your marketing is no longer limited to a very narrow slice. They're making this impact on a very large scale, right? And you're, you're communicating, right? You're prioritizing. You're doing a lot of these things that great leaders do. So anyway, I, I think for me, um, that helps. And then maybe the last one is just like we talked about earlier too, you know, find places that have pain. You know, if, if you find a big pain source that a lot of other people have, that company is generally going to be doing pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a big pain source, right? So you know, there's a lot of different ways VCs look at companies and look at all these different metrics and advanced metrics and they're probably fine. But 
a simple one I look at is just, hey, is this really painful? Have you experienced yeah. it as an actual person? Yeah. You know, is it a consumer That's or is my, it uh, background in business? Green as well. Yeah, totally. So oh, I think all those things will help you out. Really good advice, Bill. And so last component. So if people want to follow you or get in contact with you, maybe want your advice, what is kind of the best route for them to, to take? Yeah, I, I just kicked off a new uh, social handle. So it's SAS CMO Pro. Um, you can follow me there on all the major, you know, Twitter, TikTok, all different ones. LinkedIn, obviously you're on LinkedIn. Fantastic place. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me here. If you want to connect with me, send me a message. Happy to, you know, um, see if I can help out. But, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. And I, I'm shifting a lot more to talking about this stuff now, just because I think like, again, I, it was a lot of pain for me going yeah. through my marketing career, having to learn about this stuff and metrics and communications. And I found like, you know, just talking about it allows me to, you know, connect with other marketers that are going through similar pain points within their careers. Wonderful. Bill, thank you so much for joining. I could ask you 20 more questions, but I'll, I'll <laughs> let you go now. Thank you so much, Bill. We really appreciate it. And to you who are listening as well. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, guys. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.